You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. On today's show, we're talking with immigration attorney Christelle DeMuro about hiring foreign workers and navigating immigration laws in normal times and during our current federal shutdown. Christelle's going to share with us the two-step process involved in hiring foreign workers, what employers need to consider, and what potential employees can expect and what they should watch out for. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Christelle DeMuro. Thank you. (laughs) We're so happy to have you. It's my pleasure. Um, Before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you and about your practice area? Yes. Well, a bit about me. I am originally from France, so an immigrant myself. It's very hard to tell. Uh, yes, that's way. why it explains the French accent. And my <laughs> husband is Italian, so immigrant <laughs> family. Uh, but I've been here a long time, 25 years. And I opened my law practice about 15 years ago. And almost right off the bat, I focused on employment-based immigration and a lot of investors' visa as well. And when I say employment-based uh, immigration, that's non-immigrant visa for people who come here for just a few years and the green cards. It's a very interesting area of the law. Of course, there's a lot going on in immigration right now. And I thought that it would be great to have you on the show because I don't think a lot of people really understand what's going on with immigration in respect to the workplace. I think there's a perception that it's very easy to come here to work. Um, it's very fluid. And I'm sure it doesn't sound to me like it's that's the case at all in reality. And I'd love to learn more about that. And I think it'd be interesting for our listeners to learn as well, because we always talk about perspective, all right, in the workplace, of course, from the employer and the employee perspective. So let's start off by Why don't you give, we're going to talk about the employer perspective of this first and how it impacts employers, but why don't you give us a very quick overview of the process? Yes. Well, and you're right, it's a it's pretty complex area, and we're just going to talk about the employment side of immigration, but we're not going to discuss at all the rest of... No, no. removal and asylum and all of that, which is a total different area. But for employers who want to recruit foreign labor highly skilled or not, it's a two-step process. Every The first step is here in the U.S. Uh, through the Department of Homeland Security, DHS, and one branch specifically, USCIS, U- U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. The U.S. company needs to petition USCIS to bring that foreign worker from a country uh, for a specific job. So here, everything is related to the profile of the employer, if there is really a need, the wage that will be paid, if it's skilled, if it's not skilled. And this is a fairly complex um, step, that first step, but, and it takes many months sometimes. 
uh, and there are m a multitude of visas, so we cannot discuss them all uh, because there are a, a type of visa for almost every kind of uh, pos a professional position or function. Uh, but in short, that's the first step. The step two, it has to do with the future employee, so with the foreign person. And that is applying for the visa in the foreign country in question through a U.S. consulate. And at this point, this is a, a, a process totally separate from the petition. And it has to do with the individual background, situation, has this person been in the U.S., never, if he got in trouble with the law, with very grave repercussions um, and if that person gets the visa then he's okay to fly and go through the final uh, airport screening and it's not always that easy we may touch on that later i don't know and here he arrives and he's ready to work okay great overview let's dig in so yes. from the employer's perspective talk about what the process is that the employer goes through in petitioning the Department of Homeland Security. Right. So let's let's go through the the, the uh, overall process, and perhaps we can take a few examples with some work visas. Um, we love stories. You know that. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, and there are some famous visas that we hear refer to often in the news, like the H-1B for professional positions. Mm -hmm. Those are the one requiring at least a bachelor's degree or higher. There is also the another one that we often hear about. It's the H-2B. Those are for usually unskilled labor, the farm workers, you know, and all those Central Valley um, farms that may bring a lot of people from uh, Mexico or Central America to help with, you know, picking strawberries and things like that. So two different, very, very different type of visas, but require a lot of preparation and certainly cannot be done without a lawyer. <laughs> so the, the U.S. employer needs to gather a lot of information and it can, it can be pre pretty uh, invasive. You know, you need to uh, submit tax return. W-2 wage report, uh, balance sheets, and all this kind of financial information about the company. So does that have to do with the fact that they have to be, they have to prove, well, tell me what they're proving. They're basically proving. Right. Well, the, 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 um, uh, the criteria vary from one category of visa to another, but in almost all those petitions, the employer needs to prove that he's financially able to pay the wage that is offered to that foreign worker. And with that, it's better to have a medium-sized company to a large size rather than being a startup. It's not impossible to get a, a work visa in a startup for a foreign person, but it's not easy because, you know, we are now in this era of trying to hire for, um, American uh, labor, if possible, before finding those, let's say, you know, IT guys from uh, China or India, which come in great numbers. Uh, but they come here because those employers cannot find Americans to do the job, right? So um, they just need to prove they are able to pay the wage. And for some visa, in fact, that's true for the H-1B, they need to, those employers need to obtain some kind of certification from the labor department. So there is an additional screening with the petition process. Uh, then they need to justify the need for that position in their organizational chart. So talk a little bit more about that, because I was just jotting a note that it's, so a lot of people, 
a lot of people immediately, I think, take offense when they hear the phrases like, well, you just can't find someone in the U.S. to do that job. But that's not a perception. That's, in fact, that has to be quantified, right, in this process. So the company has to somehow jump that hurdle, right? How does yes, that work? That, that's totally correct. So let me jump to the other example of the H-2B unskilled labor. And those are for the H-2B is meant for people coming here really, truly temporarily. It's uh, seasonal work or intermittent work. Well, for the H-2B, the petitioner, the U.S. company, needs to take steps to uh, advertise for the position. And only after that, after they can prove that no one answered their advertisement, so, you know, let's say you will come to the Fresno area to do farm work and for, from May through October, doesn't matter. If no one answers, then they can prove, they, they document their search, unsuccessful search. Uh, they go through that wage requirement through the Department of Labor as well. And with all this documentation, they file their petition with USCIS, with everything else, right? That it's a solid business, they are not going to take advantage of the foreign worker, they are matching the wage, whatever. And then he gets approval or not. It's not an automatic approval. On, on the advertisement, is it more than like, well, we advertised in the Fresno Bee and nobody showed up? Do they, how far do they have to go? No, there are specific guidelines, yeah. And all of that is regulated through the INA, through the Immigration and Nationality Act. Okay. So there are very specific steps that you need to follow. And then what about on the, um, on the professional side? Oh, I want to ask you one more thing about the seasonal workers. So as part of that, you may or may not know this, but as part of that process where they're showing the company has to show financial and financials all that kind of stuff do they have to sh does employ do employment practices come into any of that criteria that they have to show like they have handbooks policies procedures and especially with seasonal workers uh yes it's a legitimate question coming from you okay. <laughs> uh it doesn't go that far the petitioner needs to show or at least to attest whether they have some kind of union, if it's a unionized work or not. Uh, they need to provide m basic uh, benefits, so health insurance, let's say, or retirement plans, things like that. Um, but beyond that, no, there is just, they don't need to show that they are in compliance or anything. But on now, on, on the other side of that, once... Uh, U.S. company petitions USCIS to bring a foreign worker. They really open their door to investigation. So That's I'm not interesting. saying this, that in the, the USCIS might necessarily check, let's say, with the IRS, is everything is up to date or there is no backtasses. It's not that. But if there is some kind of red flag in the paperwork they file, which should not happen with the help of a lawyer, uh, but let's say there, there was a layoff, substantial layoff, and now they are trying to bring uh, foreign labor. D That's USCIS, a red flag. Yeah, yeah. is going to want to understand. So hold on, you know, you you fired all this bunch of people in this department or that department, and now you want to bring those people from another country. We want to know why, we how, and so so. But you open the door, and if you don't want to go further with that petition, you always can withdraw it. But usually, if 
employer petition the first place is because they need those people to come and work. So right. they satisfy further requests for evidence. And so it's, um, it's laborious. It's laborious. Work. So we just have a few minutes before the break. So yes. go quickly back to the, to the more professional side. Is there anything that is the criteria different when it comes to the H1 H1B, right? H1B, yeah. yes. So usually those, this is uh, the type of work you'll, uh, you'll request for architects and lawyers and, you know. And again, there's they have to quanti am I, th quantify that. They have to show that we have a need for this. Again, do, do they have to advertise yes. and all that? or Not for the H1B, but for some other visa like the H2B, yes. But H2B is unscaled. Uh, some other visa are a little bit less complicated, like for the one for expatriates. So all those very large companies, hotel chains or Apples and Googles who want to transfer labor from one country to another, they have a special visa for that. It's called an intra-company uh, transfer, multinational mm -hmm. transfer. But at this point, so it has all to do with the company, not so much with the individual, although they need to show that if there is a, a degree requirement, then he fulfills, or he or she fulfills that requirements or experience or such. And to, to go to that, I think you alluded perhaps to the quantification of visa. Well, some visas are subject to an annual cap, and that's a really big problem for employers to plan for HR, uh, you know, for human resources in general, because if they need specific labor for a specific post or position and the visa is subject to a cap, then it's a race to filing as soon as they can. So is that how they control? So this idea that we can't find highly skilled labor, mm -hmm. um, is that how that's managed then? In other words, it's not managed on a company by company basis where the company has to show we advertised or we can't hire in the U.S. the skill, this highly skilled skilled individual that we're looking for so they don't do it company by company but they do it based on the cap they do it on the cap based on the cap yes but okay remember that the, the job search is mostly involved with green card processes here I'm, I, well, we mentioned it because for unskilled labor uh, they it's just a chance to give the people who are here to get the job. So that's why it's a requirement for U.S. employers. But generally, it's not so substan you know, substantive in terms of before you file the petition. So advertising and showing you cannot hire, it's, it's most, mostly for green card process. Oh, okay. Right. But the other oh, visa, I see. you know, yeah. So, but let's say you want to bring somebody here with a temporary visa and it is subject to annual cap. Well, it's difficult because if you don't get it, the electronic lottery that is going to draw your number to adjudicate your petition, then you're not going to get that foreign labor until next year. Because what you're saying is basically companies don't typically hire temporary, highly skilled workers on a temporary basis. So the, the, on the, for the most part, and generally speaking, they're looking to bring someone in to fill a position fill a position, we have no intention of terminating you at a certain point down the line, we're bringing you in as an at-will employee and... Uh, so employee and then we'll start the green card process. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, great. But it may take months before you actually get that H-1B high-skilled worker or that H-2B unskilled farm worker to, to work here. It may take months. Interesting. So they have to start the process pretty far ahead of time, right? So they need planning, definitely. Yeah. And it's it's costly as well. 
Wow. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Yes. There's so much more to talk about, I know. But we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift focus and talk about the employee side of all this. So stick with us. We'll be right back. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds. And most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who... Worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone... Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Our latest video-based training program is specifically designed for new employee onboarding and allows your company's HR professional an integrated opportunity to present company-specific policies and procedures on preventing unlawful conduct in the workplace. With complaints of harassment on the rise, a proactive onboarding plan that includes anti-harassment education is a smart decision. Available when you need it, where you need it, our training program is viewable on workstations and is iPad, Android, tablet, and mobile device compatible. Preview our video by going to video.sapphirelegal.com. That's video.sapphirelegal.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with immigration attorney Christelle DeMuro about the two-step process involved in hiring foreign workers. Before we switch perspectives and start talking about the employee side of of foreign workers. Let's go back and just clarify for me the CAT process, so how that works. Yes, certainly. And it's a bit confusing. So non-immigrant visa, which are the, the visa that you used to come here for just a few years, some of them, not all, are subject to an annual CAT. We refer to that quota. And once that quota is reached, USCIS is not going to educate any more petitions until the next fiscal year. So the annual cap, for example, for the H-1B is 65,000 plus another 20,000 for master's degree uh, people. Uh, the H-2B is about 60,000 per year, and the, that year is divided in two uh, for processing. Uh, so these, those, it, this is an annual cap just for that type of visa. Then you have a quota per country, but for green cards. And there are only five countries in the world that are subject to that. It's Mexico, China, the Philippines, India, and I'm missing one. Uh, but it'll come back to me. It'll so, come back to you. Three o'clock this morning, you'll wake up. I know what it is. <laughs> so uh, those, uh, the nationals from those countries, when they apply for a permanent visa for the green card, uh, well, they usually there is a huge backlog and they may petition and it may be successful, but then they have to wait in line many years for a visa to become available. Okay. So that's per country. Okay. The green card per country and the visa type, they are just a number allotted because they don't want, you know, they, they, the government basically doesn't want 200,000 people coming to work mostly for Microsoft and Google and Facebook right. uh, per year. So right. they limited that 
85,000 total for bachelor's and master's. Okay. And All same right. for the farmers. I'd love to talk more about that. Yes, I, I remember. So when I first started practicing, I helped a company do an H-1B visa. It also made me realize I did not want to practice immigration law. More <laughs> power to you. But that quota part was very stressful because you have to, and I know we've talked about over the years, that's a very scrambled part of the year. And you don't want to be telling your employer, <laughs> right. sorry, I was on vacation and I missed <laughs> I missed submitting your paperwork for the quota. Right. Plus, it's a lot of planning because... We cannot go into too much details today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the filing happens April 1st, and then the... April the Fool's Day. April Fool's Day. And you do not start working until October 1st. And so, it's, you know, this is a lot of planning, but it's a lot. Wow. It, it's very theoretical. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't want to, uh, I don't want to burden you with details. But right now, <laughs> the good news is during the shutdown, USCIS is working because it's a fee-based uh, operation within DHS. So, you know, that's why I say when it's costly right. because you have to file uh, with fees, right, you know, with right, this petition. Right. The only thing that is completely shut down is the e-verify, which is one step that you, employers have to follow after filling out the I-9 when they recruit people. Right. So that's right. Right now it's just... Um, in operational. All right. We could go on and on about that side. Yes. Let's switch gears. Because yes. I think it's also interesting to hear about things from the employee side. So we mentioned in the beginning that we're referencing uh, employers who were outside the country. Um, so start, start talking about that a little bit and share with us your experiences. Yes. In short, um, once the petition has been approved, uh, the petition from the employer, the employee, future employee, foreign uh, person has the the green light to proceed with his visa application. Uh, so that's an online process you do uh, with the Department of State. So we're not dealing with the same branch of government. Um, and they, they, they file an application online and they have to appear for a visa interview at the U.S. consulate in their country of origin or residence. Because in Europe, for example, French workers wor may work in London, in which case they are allowed to show up at the US consulate in London. But you know, so. Well, let me ask you first before you, so what about a foreign worker who's, and this might be, I don't want to jump ahead mm -hmm. if you have a thought pattern going, but does this, so would a foreign worker in the US who's applying for a particular visa, would they have to go to the consulate of their country of origin here in the US? The answer Does that is that makes it, sense. It depends. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> All right, <laughs> the lawyer answer. So, in some instances, yes, that person who is already here and perhaps working. Let, let's right, talk it would about depend on the visa that they're holding at the yes, moment. Yes. Okay. There is a way to change your status. That's how it's called. Okay. Uh, and it's and that you can do that without having to leave the U.S. And once the petition is approved together with that process of change of status, it allows you to start working. So it saves time, actually. Okay. And for an employee, it's pretty um, convenient to to find some foreign people who are already here with the skill they are searching for and do that change of status, yes. But going back to the process, so they have to go to an interview but, at their own... Correct. But yeah. So people who have never been here or have been here only to visit and live in their country, need to go through the visa process. And in our example of the people already working here, at the first exit from the U.S. 
to re-enter the country, they will need a visa and a passport. Mm. So that's when they take the, their approved petition that would have been, that could have been approved a year before or six months before, but now they need to leave the country, they need to go through the visa process. Okay. And there it gets really tough because for applicants, because it looks like an easy process. And in a lot of individuals' mind, they think, well, I have my employer, future employer's petition approved. That was like the hardest part, right? So now I can go and apply for my visa. I should get it. Right. And so often we, immigration lawyers, receive emails or phone calls from people after their visa denial saying, I don't know, I understand what happened. I got my visa denied. And there is a whole a whole list of grave consequences for that. But that um, application, at this point, has nothing to do anymore with the company. It has to do with the individual. And there is, there is four, there are, there are four or five pages of background questions on the visa application. Wow. And anything misleading. So it goes from silly things like, have you ever, I mean, not silly, but have you ever been involved in trafficking? Have, are you a member of the Communist Party? Right. Those are serious. Uh, those yeah. are serious. Uh, to those, are, there is a question, a recent question that was added not so long ago, I mean, a few years ago. Um, have you ever committed any crime for which you have not been arrested or punished and that we should be made aware of? You know, something like that. See, that's tough because an arrest is not a conviction. And we on employment law, we're very specific about that, right? Yes. Employers can't ask unless you've actually been convicted because an arrest could be wrong. But they have a lot of latitude, don't they? So, in yes. So, in any event, the applicants have to be careful with all of their answers and not misleading the authorities at any level. Uh, the interviews are tough. It's usually you need coaching for that because a lot of applicants mess up on the interviews. And I, I could, you know, I'll give you a, a really telling example. I had a client, he was looking to obtain an, an investor's visa, sorry, for a business they wanted to do, opening a restaurant close to La Jolla. Uh, but if he was not getting that, he was ready to be hired by one of those hotels there to work in the kitchen. He, was, he had his own restaurant in Paris, so something really skilled and qualified at his job. Right. So, in any event, he goes for a visa, visit a visa first, because he wanted to come here and do all the preliminary business steps before he was doing investments. We're talking several hundred thousand dollars, you know, in the, so he wow. wanted to make sure. And I don't know how I arrived the day of his interview, but the last question the officer said, so I would like you to go for a medical examination, and they have a specific list of international doctors at the American Hospital in Paris, in fact, and come back with the envelope with the result. Well, it turned out he had trace of marijuana in his bloodstream. You know, you just, it stays in your bloodstream yeah. for about four weeks right. after you smoke or whatever. And so visa denied. Now, visa denied for a person from France, with a country that benefits from the visa waiver program. There are not a lot in the world, you know, perhaps less than 30 countries uh, have their uh, nationals who can travel just with a valid passport. Everybody else needs to go through a visa process to enter here, the right. country. Right. Well, there is no more visit to the U.S. for many years for that person. He's barred. See, I don't think people realize that part of it, right. that whole aspect right. of... 
So you it's know. a bit extreme, and I really, again, I don't know how it looked like, but the, believe me, my coaching session with my applicants are on the basics, like how you dress, you need to rest, you right. need to have all your answers and your dates straight about. And if they find out, because they look, they can look online on many different databases, including the IRS, if they want to take the time to do it. You know, an interview yeah. is very quick. Usually it's three to four minutes, five at the most. The longest are the investor's visa. Tell me, because uh, mm -hmm. we're, running, we're running down the clock, yes, but tell me some points. So, so sum up some points um, on the employee side that people should be prepared for. You say coaching, I know you mean you're preparing them, you're advising them of what yes. it's going to look like. So do you have any tips that you could, that you could tell people? Well, um, before you file an application or before you present yourself to an interview, don't rely just on what your friend did or what the employer may have experienced with previous employers with a visa. Seek advice because one visa denial just bars you from pretty much from coming back for many years. So be informed, do your search, ask questions, and if there is anything wrong, let's tackle the problem, whatever that is, you know, a DUI here during a visit yeah. or not paying a car rental, just make sure that you have your story straight and be prepared. I love it. I wish we had more time. We are out of time. Me That's too. our show for today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Teresa. It was a pleasure. Loved having you. If you want to learn more about Christelle or her practice, you can find her on the web at helpimmigrate.com. That's H-E-L-P-I-M-M-I-G-R-A-T-E.com. You can also connect with Christelle via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast and click on episode 17. I also want to thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer producer, Paul Roberts, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar.